are you worth? That's a real significant question. A few days ago, I was reading in one of the magazines something that uh, I had read years ago, but I wanted to go back and to find out the calculation. And if you break your body down to its most basic chemicals, your body is worth about $4 and a half. That does seem rather depressing to some of us. But then you go and you read some other places. In 2009, the Environmental Protection Agency calculated the value of each individual. And with regards to regulations that require the saving of life, they calculate the value of the life of each individual at $7.9 million dollars. It's a lot of difference between the $4 and a half. But if the government writes a regulation or provides a regulation, their idea is that if it costs more than $7.9 million, it's not worth your life. So that's the way they calculate the statistical value of your life. People are often valued by what is called their net worth. There's actually a website that you can type in the name of celebrities, of people who are popular, and it will reveal to you their net worth. That is what they have versus what they owe. And at the current time, Mr. Bill Gates is worth $72 billion and is the world's richest man. But you know, if you start looking, there's really two different ways to look at it, and that's what our lesson is going to be based upon today. The first part of it will be the measure of man. How is it that you and I often will decide what a person is worth? And then we want to look at the measure of the master and make sure that you and I see it from God's eyes rather than from man's eyes. For just a few minutes, I'd like for you to think about ways in which you and I will often say that someone is worth. We'll look at them and we'll say, oh, they're a very important person. Their life's worth a lot. To other people, we will say, they're, they're not worth much, are they? I found a quote that I had to use somewhere in the lesson. I read it and reread it and thought about how accurate that is. The real measure of wealth is how much you would be worth if you lost all your money. If you lost everything you had. I think about people like Job. But the truth is, is that many times we look at a person's worth and we calculate and we let that translate into our minds as to whether or not we will treat them in a certain way. Turn with me to the book of James, to chapter 2. I'd like to begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 10. Notice how it is that when you and I value a person's worth, we will treat them differently. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man who with gold rings and fine apparel 
And there should come in a man in poor clothes, or poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, before we finish the reading, I want you to notice the way that James phrases this. We become judges. That is, we have placed a value on a person who is wealthy. We have also placed a value on a person who is poor, and we treat them with regards to our view of their worth. James says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom to those he has promised to them, to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law, which is according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. You see, our valuation of people causes us to treat them differently. And James says such is a sin. If you'll turn with me now to the book of Psalms, to chapter 49, we'll pick up with verse 6. In this passage... What David is attempting to do is to help us see wealth for what it really is, that it does not last. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He like the beast that perishes. Now notice with me what this text actually says. A man should not boast in the amount of wealth he has acclaimed. Why should he not do that? Because there are certain things that man cannot buy. Those of us who recognize we're not the wealthy realize there's many things that we can't afford, we can't buy. But do you know the wealthy sometimes think they can afford it all? There's one thing that no man can buy. He doesn't have enough money. 
In fact, if you were to take Mr. Gates, multiply what he is worth many times over, there's some things that that man can't buy. He can't buy the salvation of his soul. He can't buy the salvation of his children's soul or his wife's soul or his friends. It's too costly. It costs more than he can provide. Let me tell you something else they can't buy. They can't buy life. There's a point at which everyone reaches in this world that they cannot go beyond. No one can say, okay, I am wealthy enough. I am going to buy myself eternal life. No, you can't do that. You don't have enough money for that. You don't have the ability to buy it. He goes on to describe people and their wealth and how long they think it lasts. He said they think that their houses will continue forever. Do you know the house that you live in now? You may be very comfortable in it. And you have provided some things that you think will make your house last for a long time. But do you know if the Lord lets this world stand, the house that you live in will someday either be destroyed by a natural disaster or it's even possible that someone will take a bulldozer and push that house down. You see, sometimes we tend to think material things last longer than they do. And we even think our reputations will last longer. He says in verse 11, they call their lands after their own names. The city of Istanbul, Turkey has been in the news recently. It's caught my attention since we were there just a few months ago. You may not know that the city of Istanbul used to be called Constantinople, named after the great Roman emperor Constantine. It's not called that anymore. You see, people name things after themselves, but those names do not survive. Wealth, power, all these things, they don't last. Exchange. You know, when you start thinking about what you would exchange for another person's life, you have to think about Jesus. And you have to think about what occurred in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15. And he said to them, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted him 30 pieces of silver. Judas sold to Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. After he did that, though, he realized what a great mistake he had made. Drop down to verse 3 of the, chapter 27. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. He said, I didn't, should not have done that. That was not a good deal. I wouldn't exchange it now. Verse 9 then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him, who was priced, whom they, the children of Israel, priced. What are you worth? Would you put a price on your life? More importantly, would you put a price on your soul? Chapter 16 and verse 26. For what is a profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The value of one. But now let me point out to you that man often uses physical strength as a measure of someone's worth. Back years ago when slavery was a part of our country, slaves were bought and sold on the basis of their strength. How much is this slave able to carry? How long is he able to work? Just like the strength of an animal. But strength can be deceiving. People sometimes think that people who are strong are invincible. And they themselves think themselves invincible. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 7 says, I returned and saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all. How many times have you seen people who are incredibly intelligent, who are not that rich? How many times have you seen a sports team, men who are strong and powerful, lose? To someone less strong and less powerful because time and chance happen to them. Think about Samson. Physically, Samson was one of the strongest men to ever walk the face of this planet. And yet Samson was a man of many foolish choices and died as a humiliated man in his strength. Goliath. I think about that man, how invincible he must have seemed to himself and to the Israelites. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 4, we read, And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders now the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him you think about this man how towering he was and when David came out before him he laughed this little shepherd boy What can he do to me? I'm much more powerful, much stronger. I defy the armies of the living God, he would say. And you know what happened to that giant? David killed him. You see, the worth of someone, who do you want to serve you? You want someone strong and powerful. You want a Goliath, but he he can fall as well. Let me go a little bit further. Man often measures intelligence as regards to a person's worth. Listen to Solomon as he looks at life, the intelligent, the smart people, if you will, versus those who are less smart. He said, Then I turned myself to consider madness and folly. For what can a man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. 
Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And then why was I the more wise? Then I said in my heart, this is also vanity, for there is no more remembrance of the wise than the fool forever, since all that is now will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die as the fool? Let me ask you, who was the wisest man who lived in 1950? Some of you might venture a guess. Who was the wisest man who lived in 1750? Does that mean his wisdom is all forgotten? How did he die just like the fool did? That's what Solomon is trying to say. In Proverbs 3 and verse 7, he wisely reminds us, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Paul very much the same way in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become the fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, they're vain. Man often has devised a false set of standards to measure his own worth, to measure the worth of other people, to look at other people and say, they're not worth anything. Or those people are worth a lot. So what we have to do, we have to step back and say, what does God say on this subject? How does God measure man? Let me start out by pointing out to you that God's not like us. We show partiality, but God doesn't. In the book of Job 34, verse 19, Elihu is speaking. He says, Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor. Now listen, for they are all the work of his hands. When God looks down from heaven and he sees a rich man and he sees a poor man, he made both of them. They are all a part of God's creation. And that's hard for us to grasp sometimes because we tend to, among ourselves, put ourselves up and down, but from God's perspective, it's not that way. And thus God warns us against creating a false set of standards. And Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 10. When you come down to verse 12, he is explaining about some people, and he says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There's two categories of here. The classification, they class themselves. Where do I fall in the classification of God's people? 
Do I do like the Pharisee from Luke chapter 18, view myself as righteous and set everybody else as not? Do I put myself in a category, which is what classification is, that here I am and here you are? The second thing that he points out here is comparing ourselves among ourselves. I'm better than you are, or you're better than me. Verse 18, Paul says, For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. God is the one who decides what I'm worth, what you're worth. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God had told Samuel to anoint the new king after Saul. He was to go to the sons of Jesse, and they're going to parade in front of him. They're going to come by, and he's going to look at him, and he's already gone through a number of them. And you come to verse 7, and it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance, or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, what's happening is, is that when I look at you sometimes, I may see you and say, you just don't look like you're worth much. Or you may look at me and, oh, he's not worth much. But that's not the way God looks at us. God doesn't look at us superficially. God looks all the way down into the inside of us and sees the heart of man. And ultimately, you and I are not the judge of one another. Romans 14 and verse 4, Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. You don't serve me. I don't serve you. We belong to God. And God is the one able to look at us and say, this is a person's value. Well, if that's true then what does God view man as as he looks down on his creation? And the truth is, is that God loves and wants everybody to be saved. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, he said, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved. The rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the white, the black, the brown, the yellow. God looks at every man and wants him to be saved. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And thus, as the writer of the book of Hebrews will portray in Hebrews 2 and verse 9, but we see Jesus, 
who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste of death for everyone. Jesus died on that cross for every individual. Folks, that's hard to grasp sometimes. But we have to realize if it were just for me, Jesus would have died. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. With that thought in mind, numerous occasions, Jesus reminds people as to their worth before God. In Matthew chapter 6, he's looking at worry. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on. And then as he gets down to the discussion of clothing, he says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not much more value than they? If God, he says, so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and is tomorrow cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's looking and saying, you are worth something. In Matthew 10, verse 31, the passage that Corey read to us just a few moments ago. What did Jesus say? He said, there's not a bird, a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God notices God cares. In chapter 12, verse 12, some people were looking at men suffering, going through a really disastrous time with disease. And Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day and he says, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Man's worth more than an animal. God looks down and he cares about each and every one of us. In Luke 19, Jesus had come into the little city of Jericho and as he was going through this little town, there was a little short man who was a tax collector who had climbed up in a tree to see Jesus pass by. You all know the man's name, Zacchaeus. When Jesus was ready to go home with Zacchaeus, a number of people were just taken back by that. How could he go to a tax collector's house and eat with him? And Jesus said to him, Today salvation is come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. And the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Zacchaeus' soul was precious. They didn't see it, but Jesus did. In Luke chapter 15, the Lord is explaining the tragedy of things that are lost. There's going to be a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost boy. 
And in verse 4, he's talking about the value of that sheep. And he says, here's what you would do. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? He said, you would do that. Here's what Jesus is saying I am doing. I am concerned about the lost one, and I'll go and find the very lost sheep. You are worth going after. You are of value. You're valuable to God. He prizes you. He treasures you. Folks, that's something important to understand. You have value yourself and are worth saving. Sometimes people say, well, God doesn't notice me. I'm not important to anybody. Yes, you are. You're important to God and you're important to yourself. And the greatest thing that you have is your eternal soul. And if there's anything that I could be able to say this morning to try to motivate you and encourage you to not let this opportunity pass, it's an opportunity for you to make a decision that will change your future. You can decide to become a child of God and be saved eternally. You do that by believing in Jesus, repenting of your sins, confessing that faith, and being baptized. Oh, that you would make that decision this morning. If you are a Christian, sins existing in your life, you need to take care of it. Would you not deal with that this morning? Would you come while together we stand and sing?